everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Slasher Street Podcast. My name is Ryan Devlin and thank you so much for joining me once again. This is a horror movie podcast where each week I will be reviewing and discussing in detail a different horror movie from our epic collection here at the house. I hope you're all having an awesome week or as I keep saying as awesome as you can be during these incredibly shitty times we're all going through at the moment. Um, But I wanted to just start the podcast off this week with a little bit of an apology, so a little bit different to normal. Last week, if you were listening to our Army of Darkness show, at the very end of that podcast, as I do every week, I always say, you know, what we're gonna what we're gonna cover next week. And last week to end the podcast, I promised you that this week we would be doing another Rank the Franchise episode, and this week I would be ranking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. And as you've probably guessed from the title of this podcast, unfortunately that's not the episode I'm delivering this week, uh, purely because... There was. I wanted to rewatch a couple of the Texas Chainsaw films. Um, I wanted to. It was like obviously there's only about seven or eight, isn't there, in the whole series? But I wanted to rewatch uh, Leatherface. I wanted to rewatch Texas Chainsaw 3D because those are the two that I haven't really watched as much of. Uh, and I also wanted to watch uh, Texas Chainsaw 3 because again, although I love myself some Ken Faree, um, I haven't really watched that one as anywhere near as much as I've watched. The, the remakes, number two, the original, and Next Generation. So I really wanted to rewatch a few of those movies before locking my list down. And unfortunately, this week has just been absolute hectic with, with work and everything going on in between. Um, so I just unfortunately haven't had a chance to rewatch um, a few of the films that I really wanted to watch this week. So what I'm going to do is I can guarantee you, everyone, that next week the Texas Chainsaw Ranking Franchise episode will be here. It'll be here next week. We'll rank every single Texas Chainsaw Massacre film. Uh, I'm going to 100% rewatch a couple of them this week uh, and then I'm going to finalise my list, lock it down, and we'll talk about that in detail next week. So we've got that to look forward to next week. We've got the Rank the Franchise episode for the Texas Chainsaw uh, Massacre franchise coming your way. But as you probably guessed from the title of this week's episode, a little bit of a surprise episode, I suppose, because we haven't been plugging this at all. This week on the show, we're going to be talking about the 2011 kind of comedy... Oh, 2012, rather, sorry. God, what am I saying? Uh, 2012 uh, kind of comedy horror, meta, completely meta as fuck horror, Cabin in the Woods. Now, I was wanting to do this episode for a little while anyway. It was on my list of, of, of movies that I was going to cover. So if it wasn't going to be this week, it would have been within the next three or four weeks anyway. So I thought, well, you know, I've seen this film so many times, especially in recent years. So gave it another watch last night, got my notes ready. Uh, so let's we might as well discuss it now. Now is the best time, you know, there's no time like the present. So let's get into it and let's talk... Cabin in the Woods. Now, I absolutely love this film. And I feel like when this movie came out, 
in 2012, it became so popular, ridiculously popular, to be honest, for a, for a horror movie at the time. Because at this point in time, you know, 2012, between really 2008 to 2013, we were getting remakes, reboots. There was no real original ideas, go, original kind of slasher ideas, I suppose, going into mainstream worldwide theatrical releases especially none that has a huge budget behind them anyway so um so this film came out in just at just the right time and uh yeah i feel like at the time it was so popular and it had obviously rave reviews when it came out and i remember leaving the theater going holy shit that was absolutely epic um but i feel like because of the, the rules that this movie kind of, you know, makes fun of. And uh, some of the CGI hasn't aged that well looking back on it now. I feel like it's kind of became, not in my opinion, in my opinion it's still a great movie, but it's kind of become a more of a hated movie over the years. But, you know, I think that's still in the minority. I still think people genuinely love this. And it's such an incredibly clever, incredibly creative, incredibly unique concept to a monster slasher movie. Um, you know, we still get all of the slasher rules that we all know and love, in inverted commas, and um, all that good stuff. But it's the whole thing is just completely, you know, turned on its head. So let's get into it. So as I say, I went to the cinema to see this back in 2012. I think it's probably like opening week or the second week. And uh, this movie was incredibly well done because all of the advertisements, especially in the UK, but I think it was in the world as well, gave absolutely nothing away for this film. It had gave none of the story away. And rightfully so, you know, the, the posters that were on billboards, on buses, you know, let's not forget, and we're going to get into it in terms of the budget, but this had a huge release and was huge, so popular, so well advertised, everywhere that you know you couldn't move for seeing cabin in the woods it was probably the biggest horror movie to come out that year i'm gonna have to look at what other movies came out that year to back that up but it was easily one of the most publicized movies um so i went to cinema see but i didn't see the trailer going in and having watched the trailer back the original theatrical trailer the trailer gives absolutely nothing away and, and rightfully so because this movie is if you've never seen cabin in the woods before then um, i probably would say go and watch it and then come and listen to this because this podcast is going to be full of spoilers and to really enjoy cabin in the woods and to really grasp its concept you have to go into it completely blind or go into it thinking you're going to watch a standard Evil Dead style slasher movie. Not, I know Evil Dead's not slasher, but you know, that kind of thing. Go into it thinking you got to see your know, standard horror movie and then you'll enjoy it even more because that's the whole point. It's to surprise you. It's to, you know, think, what the fuck am I watching? And at the very end of the movie, it all kind of comes comes full circle and then obviously now i've seen this movie probably 10 times over the years um probably to once a couple of times a year job this movie for me and uh, every time you kind of see at the very start of the movie they're explaining kind of all what's happening in japan and things like that and um if you're watching that for the first time you think what the fuck's this what, what they're talking about whereas you know obviously if you've seen the film you would know what they're talking about. So it's good to watch on repeat viewing, but I didn't think there was anything better than watching this movie going in blind for the first time. It was just absolutely, absolutely, uh, you know, epic, really, for me. Uh, you know, the first uh, 30 minutes, you're kind of thinking, 
You know it's not a standard slasher slash horror movie or a monster movie. You know it, there's something up here from the off, but you just don't know what, and it just keeps getting better and better throughout the movie. So, uh, But we're going to go, we're going to jump right into this. We're going to really go really deep into this movie. So uh, a few details on the movie. It had a $30 million budget. So this was a huge, huge production for a horror movie. Even the remakes, I think, like the biggest remakes, the Evil Dead remake, uh, the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, the Friday the 13th remake, I don't think they had budgets anywhere near this level. Uh, and it was, it was a huge production. And to pump $30 million into a film that you want to be released almost as a secret just took bottle and you have to applaud them because in this day and age in 2012 you know still tech the, the social media age to put this movie out there and for it to not really get spoiled that was a huge achievement as well i, I say i remember seeing this movie a week or two after it came out in the cinema and didn't have a clue what what i was going into um there wasn't obviously as many horror kind of message boards groups on facebook at that point in time but still, a great achievement, and um, and it grossed sixty six point five million dollars at the box office, which really, as I keep saying, for a horror movie, that was just incredible. You know, and a horror movie that no one knew anything about was incredible. Word of mouth spread incredibly fast on this on this movie, and it wasn't just. Um, it wasn't people saying you need to see this because this happens. It was just go and see this movie. You need to see this movie because if you don't, you'll regret it and go into it blind. And everybody was saying the same thing. Go into the movie blind. Don't watch the trailer. Just go and watch the movie. And I just think that's absolutely awesome that um, they got away with that at that time. And even still to this day, I know people who haven't seen this movie. And I keep saying just go into it blind, you know. Although, you know, it came out eight years ago, so people are going to go into it blind. Not, no one really watches trailers <laughs> for movies that came out eight years ago. It's had a relatively big cast as well, notably saying, uh, notably starring Chris Hemsworth. Obviously, Thor himself is in this movie, and uh, he plays Kurt, who's like kind of the, the jock slash the athlete kind of character. Um, there is a lot... Um, it's quite, like I say, quite a lot of big names in this one, but this was around the time I think Thor came out the year before, then this came out, then the Avengers came out, and obviously Chris Hemsworth, he is one of the biggest stars on the planet. And uh, he's up there with Johnny Depp and, um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. God, I couldn't think of his name, could they? I was like, who, played, who plays Iron Man, you know, Robert Downey Jr.? All these, uh, Brad Pitt, all these big names, Chris Hemsworth is up there. So to get someone like Chris Hemsworth to do this horror movie, which, you know, is he doesn't even play... He's not in it the whole way. He's not one of the starring characters, although he is a, he is a main character, but he's not the star. Um, I just think that's, you know... Well, 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 going and what a coup to look back on that because I think this on his filmography is like the fifth film he ever did, his fifth feature film. Uh, we have Jesse Williams in this, he plays Holden, who's like the clever, nerdy scholar kind of character. He's a huge uh TV star in America, notably Grey's Anatomy. He's been in that since pretty much day one, uh, which obviously it's a big show in the UK, but it's an even bigger show in the US. Uh, Fran Kranz, he plays Marty the Stoner. He is, without a doubt, the best character of the five quote-unquote trope 
characters, the uh, the uh, the five slasher trope characters, which we will get to. We will get to there. Uh, Richard Jenkins is in this movie. He plays one of the office guys, one of the guys who uh, works in the kind of... I don't really think we... It's not a studio. It's like the warehouse the office the whatever you want to call it the studio the the base the army base whatever you want to call it uh and he obviously one of the most recognizable comedy actors in the world because of the film step brothers this is the it's the carolina fucking wine mixer and uh, he is just one of the most recognizable comedy stars in the world because of that movie and the comedy in this for him is absolutely fantastic uh, Bradley Whiteford is in this he was obviously he starred in Get Out he's in Brooklyn Nine-Nine he plays Steve which is Richard Jenkins his friend his kind of co-worker his colleague in the agent it's not an agency it's like a studio agency it's I don't know it's weird because it's because their job is to protect the world so it's kind of an agency like a FBI agency slash film production company all that good stuff. Uh, some of the other ones that are in the movie, they're not really as big of a stars or any, and you know, not that I know anyway. Didn't get any play any big roles after this one or before that one. But no one put in, no one puts in a bad performance um, in this movie here. This this movie is solid. The acting for the most part, and really, the five characters, the the three guys and the two girls who are playing the slasher trope horror movie standard box characters or that's their role to play in this with with the overall story um you know the times where they're acting bad is explained within what's happening in that scene so you know things like they quickly turn around and they're not much showing much emotion and he's kind of saying um you know i think we should split up and everyone's like well well you know it's, it doesn't look great acting but that's all almost it's making fun of the horror trope and the slasher rules that accompany that um one big thing i think that really really hits home in this movie is the comedy now as you've probably guessed from some of my other reviews over the last god knows how many weeks that we've been doing this now um comedy and horror is incredibly hit and miss for me so i'm one of actually a few people who really finds most of the comedy in Seed of Chucky funny, so don't knock the podcast off at that, but I find that funny, whereas I don't really find the comedy in, say, Evil Dead 2 that funny. I find Freddy Krueger funny in Freddy's Dead. You know, um, the the comedy in Friday Part 6 is quite funny. and all this good stuff, but I think in this movie, the comedy is so well-timed. It's so on point. Uh, for this film, it just works. Obviously, this film is meta as fuck. The whole thing, it's Scream-esque. In they're explaining the rules of the horror movie, but in a totally different way to the way Scream did it. Uh, but the comedy hits home really well. The two guys in the office, um, Richard Jenkins' character and Bradley Whiteford character, they are absolutely hilarious. And the scene where they're on the phone to Mordecai, who we'll, we'll get to in a bit... He's like the standard slasher kind of crazy Ralph character. He's an actor. I don't think he- I think he's an actor in the movie. He plays that character to to lure them to the cabin because that's the whole thing. They have to make 
their own choices in this. Um, and when they're on the phone to Mordecai and they're almost prank calling him, that's hilarious. Uh, when they when <laughs> Japan is ultimately defeated or you know wins, whichever way you want to look at it, they lose. There's no winners here. Um, and uh, he's on. He's looking at the TV. He's like, "Fuck you! Fuck you!" To these little like seven-year-old Japanese girls who have defeated this evil. It's just hilarious. Um, Marty the Stoner, his one-liners in this are absolutely hilarious. The timing of his one-liners are absolutely perfect. So especially when he's at the gas station and he's kind of interacting with Mordecai, like Mordecai's playing that intense redneck, crazy Ralph, um, Texas Chainsaw, don't go that way character. And he's just, I think Mordecai ends up having a piss like right in front of them. And Marty just goes, well, good luck with your business, sir. <laughs> it's like, it's just completely straight the whole way he delivers that line. Good luck with your business, sir. It's like, what business? He's closed in the middle of the day. He has no customers. He obviously runs this shithole shack. He's got no customer service skills to the point where he's taking a piss and spitting in front of them. And he says, uh, he says on the lines of, uh, the railroad will be coming here, coming through this this way any day now. You know, that's going to be huge. And the whole thing just absolutely cracks me right up. I just think, like, I say the comedy in this really works. It's because it's, it doesn't take away from the horror when there is the right timing for comedy. It's there when there's the right timing for uh, for horror and for kills in this movie. That's there as well. It doesn't overlap too much. It's all pretty well spaced out and well timed, uh, in my opinion, anyway. Um, so the whole movie. Is I suppose we can get straight into the spoilers. You know, we can really talk about the whole idea of the movie. So the whole idea of the movie is there are these this agency, or it's like an FBI agency or a film studio, and this is where it kind of the only confusion in the movie I think is how you want to interpret actually what's going on. So you can interpret that they, and I'll tell you what I think anyway. Um, you can interpret it that it's just a yearly tradition that they send people to this cabin and they kind of choose their own fate and then they die and then that appeases the gods below. And if all of these kids don't get killed in the right order or if they don't play by the rules, the gods will rise up and take back control of the earth and take it back to the dark ages. So, But you don't realise that this is what's going on uh, throughout the whole movie pretty much until the very end, which is so, so clever. Um, so, But in my opinion, this whole thing is they are showing you kind of how horror movies are made and they're explaining along the way why characters in horror movies make the wrong choices. I think this is on pay-per-view or people are watching from home so people can see what's going on and there's different horror movies, quote-unquote, being played out over the whole planet in different countries and... That's kind of horror movies. So they're kind of saying that if this was our world, if we were watching Evil Dead, for example, that would be that would really be happening to them. Like those those events would really be happening to them. They would and they would die to essentially save the world to appease these gods beneath. Um, 
the rules are pretty hard and fast sometimes in this movie, which we'll we'll get to as we go along the story. Uh, and they lure the five horror movie tropes to the cabin. Uh, so you've got the jock, which is Kirk, Chris Hemsworth character. The slut is Chris Hemsworth's girlfriend, Jules. You've got the stoner slash the joker, which is Marty. You've got the scholar slash kind of the nerd, the clever one, which is Holden. And the virgin, quote-unquote, which is Data. But as I say, they work with what they got. She's not really a virgin because we establish fairly early on in the movie that she's like sleeping with her teacher. So... She's probably more slutty than the one who's the slut. But, uh, yeah, they work with what they've got. Um, but you can't really think too much about it in general because the whole concept um, that these horror movies are played out to the public eye, uh, that they're controlled by the, this central agency, it's just they you really just try to, you know, make up the rules as you go along so you can't really think too much about it but for me that's how that's basically explains this whole movie and how horror movies are made Uh, and we'll get to which universe i think this is a part of and why i think that that's the case as we go through because there's a few easter eggs that you pick up along the along the way um but anyway let's get into the movie let i've kind of rambled on a bit much there so let's get into the actual movie and let's talk uh a blow by blow of everything that happens in the film so the movie starts with gary and steve who are the two in the office and they're walking around this um kind of like this c uh fbi building yeah, i suppose it's like a government building and i remember watching this in the in the cinema thinking am i in the right film like what is this this isn't this isn't a horror movie of uh someone trapped in the cabin in the woods because I went into it thinking I was going to watch some sort of Evil Dead knockoff. Um, which eh, you are in a sense, but not in too much. And uh, yeah, they're walking around the... Um, walking around the uh, around their office and walking around their building. Uh, and <laughs> they are... You can see that they're talking about the the, the game that they're going to be playing. And uh, but we as a viewer haven't really got a clue. But looking back on it, we know they're talking about placing bets on what's going to happen to these kids in the cabin. Uh, and what I like about this this opening scene is it's kind of for, it's it's kind of forgettable. Their dialogue doesn't really matter. And I think it's Gary or it's Steve, or Steve rather that says um, he says, "Are you even listening to me?" And then boom cabin in the woods like right on the screen um and from that moment you're in you know you're in for something completely different something that's nothing like any other real slasher or horror movie out there because like what the hell it actually reminded me a little bit of insidious the start of insidious where that kind of jumps on the screen as well you know insidious uh that terrified me as well in the cinema that was one of the few few movies that I genuinely wanted to leave, I wanted to walk out of, because I was like, this is too much for me. Already, I was like, five minutes in, I was like, you know, I'm a fan of campy slasher movies. Things like Insidious was just too much. Too, 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 you know, where it, um, you can feel like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. It was that kind of thing. Not, not for me, not for me at all. Um, but I appreciate that film now, after, you know, watching it, so many times 
so anyway, we then see the generic kind of slasher start of the movie where they're all meeting up to go for a weekend away at his cousin's cabin. Cliche as hell, but that's the whole point. This is taking the mick, it's meta. Uh, and then, But when we see the special agent on the roof as they're leaving, saying they're on the way, we know that, you know, it's not quite... Not quite kosher. Something very different is happening. Uh, he say, So this is Chris Hemsworth's cousin. that He's just bought this cabin in the woods and they're going to stay there for the week. And it got me thinking, well, this he didn't really just buy this cabin because this is where this whole area is set up for America to play this game, play the game out with these kids. Uh, so... Whether he's not very close to his cousin or whether he was, you know, his cousin just emailed him and said, yeah, I've just acquired this cabin, you and your friends can use it. And he didn't, like, question anything or give him a ring to, like, you know, really confirm any details. Because this cabin, his cousin did not buy this cabin unless his cousin was paid by the government to set him up. It's not really explained as to uh, that side of things, but or not that I could notice anyway. Uh, and I was kind of like, well, why would... Is he not questioning like why he's going to the cabin with his friends or how his cousin got this cabin or any of those kind of details? He's like, oh, my cousin's got a cabin and we're going there for the weekend to party. And it's like, oh, well, that's fine. But really thinking... Of, <laughs> I know I'm kind of like trying to, you know, show logic here, but I was kind of like, well, did you not like check any of this info out? How, how did this come about anyway whatever uh, so we meet mordecai and he is a treat mordecai is a treat uh so he is a huge horror movie trope in himself like i say he's the crazy ralph character of this whole movie and he is hilarious so another part of the comedy that really hits home as we've gone through already um that whole scene where at the gas station and He's, he's, he's just a th- almost throwaway character, but he plays it so straight as if he's in a horror movie. It's just very well, very well done. Uh, and they reach the cabin, but before they do, we see the first glimpse into something very different, and that's where they kind of go through the tunnel, which leads them to the other side, and then an eagle, we follow the eagle, and then it blows up on the screen, which is just on the uh, kind of glass, you know, where it's separated probably from the real world to the studio, which I would presume that's where they're going. That, like, as soon as they go through that tunnel, that's them into the studio? You know, I don't know. It's very strange. That's where they work. That's where the uh, where the agency are based and everything. So I just found that uh, quite cool and quite interesting. The more you think about it, you're like, well, the agency are based behind this glass screen, or is that screen the wall to the studio? Like, is that the the like the actual brick wall? We don't really see it. Like, we don't really get that bit explained too much. But it's not a film to really think about too much. You just have to enjoy, in my opinion. Uh, enjoy it as you go. Um, so, I mean, they... Do they use the same cabins in all horror movies? <laughs> like, this whole movie, like, for mo- well, for most of it, is a bit of a homage to The Evil Dead, obviously. It's called Cabin in the Woods. The cabin in the woods is pretty much an exact replica of the cabin in Evil Dead. And um, we're going to get to that in just a second uh but i just wonder whether it was the same cabin i think it must have been a, a, a remake they're kind of gone to the same cabin but yeah um it's ca- so anyway my opinion on this let's just get into it now then uh 
is the connection. I think this. I think this movie, although it's unofficial, it's not canon by any means. I think this movie is somewhat existent within the Evil Dead franchise, or within the Evil Dead world, not the franchise. And I'll tell you for why. Because this is the same, pretty much the exact same cabin that we see in the Evil Dead. In the Evil Dead, they go down, they find the book, they read the book, the Deadites come, and that is that is what happens. And the Deadites end up killing everybody in the cabin. And it's the same kind of thing. You've got the two couples, you've got the Joker. Uh, it's slightly different Evil Dead 2, fair enough. But for me, uh, and but in the Evil Dead remake, it's the same kind of thing. There's five of them there. Uh, and they... They chose the book in Evil Dead and they read the passage and then they all turned into deadites. Now, in the next scene, and this is one of the most paused scenes in, in cinema, I think. I think uh, that's, what I, that's what I hear anyway, that most people pause this scene. Uh, and basically it's the kind of betting board of all the monsters that can, that can uh, be summoned you know, throughout. So these kids are in the cabin, they have to go into the basement and they have to pick essentially which monster they're going to choose to kill them although they don't know that at the time but we see that as we go on uh, in the movie and they but they don't know which one they're going to choose now if you look at this board in in the office and i'm sure this might have been pointed out before to people but you know let's just go through it anyway uh, on this board the board is awesome um and they, for me as well, before I actually get into that, I actually think they could, and it, it could still happen, I suppose, because, you know, it's only eight years ago. I think they could have really done a lot of spin-offs with this, a lot of prequels, a lot of, you know, they could have done Cabin in the Woods Merman, they could have done Cabin in the Woods Werewolves, whatever. They could have done prequel after prequel for this, and um, I don't think it would have ever got old, because it was incredibly well done. And all if you look at all of the monsters that are on that board... There's enough for three or four, five, six decent movies out of that list easily. Um, so anyway, they could have chosen... They could have chosen the merman, the werewolf, alien beasts, zombies, the giant snake, witches, sexy witches, demon, hell lord. Uh, they could have chosen the one that they ended up... Uh, winning? Choosing? <laughs> Whichever way you want to go. Uh, zombie redneck torture family. But... Uh, on that board, and I kid you not, you can go and have a look at this, is Deadites. Yes, exactly, from The Evil Dead. So they raised and chose, whatever way you want to look at it, the zombie redneck torture family, which Ronald the Intern won. So well done, Ronald the Intern. Congratulations. He loved that he won this. And I like this as well, they kind of say... Uh, oh no, I, I won, I chose zombies uh, no, you chose zombies this one is zombie redneck torture family <laughs> this is, there's a difference um, so, deadites are a thing in this universe so had they chose uh, the, presumably maybe the Necronomicon if that was down there and read from the book of the dead or read a different passage in the book that they did read, well that was, it was the diary of the girl, so it wouldn't be that one, but presumably the Necronomicon is down there, same as it is in the Evil Dead movies, and they could have raised deadites. That's what happens in the Evil Dead. So, for me, this is kind of almost making fun and saying, well, the events of the Evil Dead happened within this universe, 
and it was down to this agency and that was the reason that all that stuff happened in the cabin because they needed to appease these gods underneath the ground. I know it's a long shot, it's not proven, it's not confirmed, unless when we go through the trivia later on it might be, but for me, the fact that deadites are on the board, we are in what looks like an identical replica of the Evil Dead cabin, I think this is this is within the Evil Dead world. Oh, and poor Steve, he really wants the merman, doesn't he? He really wants it, he gets it later on, uh, but uh, he really, he really wants the... Uh, the merman. So we find out as well that every single country has failed. So it's all down to America to save the world. Now, if you think of all... I mean, I know we're reading too much into it again, but if you think of all the countries in the world, everyone failed? Like, you could just send that giant snake out there and it would literally kill everyone within a second. I mean, you saw we saw the carnage that happens later in the movie. It's like everyone failed and they're putting all their hopes in the Buckner family, a.k.a. zombie redneck torture family, to save the planet. But this is the thing as well. They have to follow the rules. They can't just go in there. And they, again, later in the movie, they play a bit fast and loose with the move, with the rules by saying, well, you just kill him and then you save the world. But do you? Otherwise, could they not just go in there with the army and kill them? Like, could, could the army have not just gone in there and done that? You know, I, I don't know. It seems a bit strange. Um, but they have to play by the rules. So they have to get to the cabin themselves via their own free will. They're invited there, but they don't have to go. They're not forced to go. So they go to the cabin on their own free will. They go in the basement on their own free will. And in the basement are all the objects that relate to the different monsters that they can release. And through their own choice of free will, they choose how they want to die. And in this instance, they chose the Buckner family, zombie redneck torture family. But when she's uh, when she's in the basement, she's reading this diary. You're like, why would you read this diary in this freaky cabin in the basement? Surely you've seen Evil Dead. It exists within this universe, maybe. Uh, and then she reads the Latin out loud. And if one thing horror movies have taught you is don't read the Latin in a book of written by some sort of ghost like zombie girl do not do that that is a big no-no uh, but she does and I, you can see that they're saying the pumping the audio through the house saying read it read it and all that kind of stuff but you're like would you would you read it but it's all the pheromones that this is the thing as well they're controlling it to an extent so that they still want to see them you know get killed by this family uh, i just really enjoyed that side of things anyway i thought that was really good but do if you're ever in this position Never read the Latin. Never. That's a terrible no-no, a terrible idea, because you'll end up dead. <laughs> uh, one of the only downside, I think, to this movie is the kills within this section of the movie, because it's got a huge budget. I think the kills could have been way, way, way more over the top, way better, uh, and the kills in these chase scenes, they're not the best at all. Um, there's a mix of questionable CGI later on in the movie as well for the budget, but I think that was a a product of its time. You know, 2009 to 2012, 13. We probably did. I mean, even if you watch like one of the old Avengers movies now, which we thought were insane back then, probably haven't aged that well now. So for this kind of movie, CGI doesn't look good. But anyway, the kills are pretty basic, and there's only. Uh, Although really, it's only it's only the the slut, quote unquote, that we see get killed in these chase scenes, uh, Jules. But 
it's yeah, it's pretty basic. I feel like Kurt's death is probably the best one in uh, the whole movie, where he kind of he he tries to jump the 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 ridge area on his motorbike and he just smashes into the uh smashes into the glass you can see it happening a mile off because we know that's what happened to the eagle earlier on in the movie but damn i mean you just think he's he thinks he's getting there he thinks he's getting there and then bang just hits the wall and keeps ricocheting off the wall on the way down that is out of all of the kills in this movie that's the one i would not want to happen to me that would i mean i wouldn't do the jump i just take the risk and do something else but damn that was that was grim um so but yeah as i say the other ones jules's death it's not great it's really off i know we see a head get thrown later on but it's nothing special um yeah i just think that and when they're kind of when the the dad buckner presumably he's kind of wielding and throwing that um bear trap around that could have been way more gory and some of them get that bear trap in the back and then just carry on as if nothing's happened. I was like, you would probably die. Like, that would that would kill. Um, anyway, they almost escape in the RV because they're trying to escape. And then the agency is trying to blow the tunnel up. And I just whole, love this whole back and forth. It's incredibly tense where Gary... Um, is running through the office like why the fuck haven't they blown up the why haven't they blown up the tunnel and they're trying to escape in the tunnel and then the tunnel like blows up oh it's just very intense scene very well done as after that as well chris hemsworth's character kurt he he meets a pretty gruesome death and he gets killed crashed into the glass oh it's just best one of the movie oh best one of these guys anyway for me uh and we have um one thing that I like about this movie a lot is the surprise elements. There is a, a kind of a lot of things that a lot of good jump scares, not like cats falling off the screen or anything like that, but genuinely quite good jump scares. Um, we have obviously the the one at the very start of the movie. Uh, this one is uh, there's a one as well where you can see Marty the Stoner is having a wee outside, and we can see the girl Buckner behind him. And you kind of are expecting the girl Buckner to jump out at him, and then it's Chris Hemsworth that jumps out at him, and it's from the other side. I just think that's really well done. But anyway, we have uh, Holden and Dana in the in the RV. They're trying to escape, and Holden gets a kind of spike through the neck. And again, it's that's a jump scare because. He's, we just don't see it happening out of nowhere. Boom. And it's really loud, really intense, really, really good. Quite a decent kill, that one. Uh, but again, it's just one of many fairly good jump scares in this whole movie. So the office as well, they think that the job's done at this point in time. You know, Kurt's dead, Holden's dead. Uh, we know that the... I keep calling her the Slut character. I just can't remember her name. Jules. I think that should, that should be a really easy name for me to remember. Um... She's dead, and they think Marty's dead as well. So they're like, wait, job done. Um, and the kind of a few of them are saying, oh, well, we 
but she's not dead. You know, Dana the Virgin, she's not dead. It's like, well, the Virgin character is kind of a stock character. <laughs> she can live or die. It doesn't really matter. You know, we expect it. If she survives, good for her. But I was like, they don't really, uh, they don't really need her, like, blood or anything like that down there. And I was like, oh, that kind of... Because sometimes, you know, that's the whole final girl, isn't it? You know, sometimes they live, sometimes they die. And um, to them, at this agency... It doesn't really matter. I just thought that was, yeah, fair, fair enough. <laughs> Whichever. Uh, but the bat phone rings the red phone and the director is on the phone who we find out later on. Great cameo from a certain someone later on, which you'll get to. And Marty is still alive somehow, even though he's been stabbed and hit with a bear trap. He's still alive. And you're like, what? What? How on earth are you still alive? Um... After all that has happened to you. But he is still alive, so the job isn't done. The gods are not appeased. And um, this is the other thing, the part of the movie that I don't really understand too much. And we're going to get to it a bit more uh, in one of the later scenes. But when someone dies, they kind of pull the lever in the office to symbolise that someone's died. And then the blood pours down into their kind of different trope outline um but that's not their blood that's not the blood of the person who's just died so the gods are just assuming that those that person has died i don't know they want things done in a very certain way i just thought that was very strange they could just like lie but maybe not maybe that's you know maybe the gods are watching maybe we are the gods there could be i just you're thinking about that in a totally different light but we're not, obviously, because of what happens later on in the movie, but hey. Uh, so this is where, for me, the best the best section of the movie, this final third of the movie, is where we go full-on what-the-fuck mode and where we get full explanations for everything that's happened throughout the first two-thirds of the movie that we've just watched. And this is where you can't... This is the bit of the movie where I was like, oh, my God, they have got balls to do this and i was like i was almost on my feet clapping <laughs> like in the cinema because i was like they are giving us something completely completely different here so dana and uh, marty they get into go under the grave and then they're in the elevator and in the office of um you know this agency and they're kind of in this like charlie and the chocolate factory style tour elevator uh and it's like a tour of all the monsters waiting to be released and we see um kind of the hellraiser gag as well like a, almost a cenobite or a pinhead reference in there he he looks just like someone who could just fit right into the uh, into the hellraiser franchise we've got uh, giant snake pythons which are kind of you know I almost feel like the CGI is that bad to kind of as a joke to some of those kind of, um, you know, Sharknado and Giant Shark Python or whatever. Those those really shitty movies that <laughs> are out there. Um, and all these monsters are just there waiting to be released uh, to go and, and go and kill. Um, and you just think how lucky they were that they picked the zombie redneck family because they're probably the easiest ones to, to like kill or to beat maybe maybe that ghost in japan's pretty easy as well but pretty much all the things we see in this elevator you think holy shit not a chance in hell are you beating 
any of those things. No way in hell are you able to defeat them things. Um, so one of my favourite scenes in the movie is when the army are coming to capture them and uh, they hide in the in this kind of control room and then they just press the red button and all the monsters are released and they just destroy destroy all of this army you've got the giant snake giant spiders you've got this kind of evil robot that's just sawing people into bits it's just so some of it is terrible cgi definitely the snake looks horrendous but it's such a fun scene and you know you can kind of the blood's just splurting everywhere. I just wish we could have saw a little bit more. We do see quite a bit. We see people getting eaten and we see people getting kind of sawn in half and things like that. But it's all CGI. You know, it's no practical effects involved. It's a bit of a mess. We see loads of blood. And this is another question that you have as well. It's like, why do the gods want just these five people to die? Because in that one room, in that one scene, what, like 30 police officers or security guards got absolutely butchered by god knows how many monsters and it's like is that not good enough for you like if you're watching if if the gods are watching this as a horror movie and this is being portrayed to them as entertainment surely they got way more bang for their buck out of that elevator cctv room than they did in the actual kind of up, upper upper level i suppose you would call it in the cabin i just thought surely that does you for another year <laughs> like surely you can that appease your bloodthirst for a while but you know they want marty the stoner for whatever reason and they seem to be quite happy if someone just shoots him in the head <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so Steve, he finally gets to meet the merman. And this was a very uneasy kill to watch. The merman is ugly, is slimy, moist as hell. And he just spits blood through like his... Um, is it a spout? Is that, is that what you would call it? Like what whales have, you know, where they shoot water up. And he's like, the sound is awful. Oh, he's like gargling. And that's a grim scene. But really awesome. And again, it's not CGI. It's a practical effect, which is one of the best things in this movie. This one, this this particular kill is practical. I really, really enjoy this. Um, but somehow, through all of this chaos, through being going face to face with this giant snake from going, a dragon bat, the ghosts, the zombies, Dana and Marty still managed to escape, and. They kill Gary on the way, and then it's all revealed. We finally get the big reveal. We finally meet the producer, or whatever you, whatever you want, the director, I think she was called, who's Sigourney Weaver, who's in a fantastic cameo. She's a bit more than a cameo, you know, she's in it for about five or ten minutes, but she's not a huge star of the movie throughout but you know great cameo by Sigourney Weaver and she explains the whole thing that every year they go through this process to appease the gods below and if you don't kill Marty if the Joker character the the you know the the clown character doesn't die then they're gonna rise up and and you know take back control of the world and every single person on earth will die a slow and painful death that is what they said and the way that she words it to marty is something along the lines of you know you can either get 
shot in the head here and die a hero because if you don't die everyone's going to die a slow painful death or you could wait 10 minutes and you're going to die anyway at the hands of the gods and this is fantastic timing he's like both options sound so enticing and i was like oh that's hilarious it's such a dark moment like the ending of this movie is so dark and so grim and um if this is the thing it's tough one it's a tough one because if you're going to die anyway in 10 minutes like would you not prefer to just get shot in the head i don't know because dana has the gun and she could easily just pull the trigger and kill him and it would be over in a second but that's easier said than done you know i mean to kill your friend to save the world but also for your friend to die and take it on the word of this woman there's always that fight that human nature fight that makes you think no i can live another minute i can live another 10 seconds or maybe we can get out of this somehow even though they can't get out of this situation it's it's physically impossible for them to get out of what's happened but you just think well why would you not just do that it's kind of a selfish dick move to be honest you know he should he should be thinking about his mum if he's got relatives they're all gonna die at the hands of these monsters and the gods if he doesn't die i mean it's a difficult decision but i mean for me it's very selfish because you're gonna he's gonna die in 10 minutes anyway <laughs> so you might as well die quick but as i say that's easier said than done and for the most part i mean i pff, how you would react to that situation i don't know but he has to die to save the world and they choose to survive for another five minutes together and then the gods rise up to end the movie and the this big giant hand just comes up and bashes through the cabin and bang end movie cabin in the woods and then the whole theater goes what the fuck was that and this like i say it doesn't have a happy ending the, the ending of the movie is that everybody on earth dies <laughs> like so that's pretty much the end of the film is the end of the world so um obviously they couldn't have had a sequel but they could definitely have had a prequel to this or maybe a sequel of how the aftermath of what happened in the cabin in the woods but couldn't really call it the cabin in the woods because the cabin was destroyed when that hand came blasting through the floor but yeah as i say i just thought it's a grim as fuck ending um but this movie to sum up it's such a fun ride and i know that i have said some major flaws about this movie and how some of it doesn't make any sense and all that kind of stuff but for me i love this movie to bits i actually think it's probably one of the best horror movies made in the last 10 years and yeah people might say it's a bit corporate but obviously there's some fantastic indie horror films that are make that have been made over the last decade that people including myself absolutely love and i really want to get behind those movies and i want to say those were the best movies of the decade and some of them the barn for one and terrifier those are two hugely popular uh, indie movies are obviously fantastic but this although it's a cgi messing part is still for me one of the best horror movies of the last 10 years and it's it no matter how many times i watch it the first little bit's a little bit slow but no matter how many times i watch it it's just a a fun ride throughout the whole movie and uh, as i say at the time a time when all these remakes were coming out and reboots it was just what we needed as 
for the mainstream worldwide theatrical release horror movies it was just what the world needed in my opinion uh, to get people interested in, in watching horror again because this was so popular it was so huge it was crazy um so anyway to sum up i would probably give this somewhere in between a seven and an eight probably a 7.5 is is probably a safe is uh is a safe rating for me uh sometimes when i watch it i'll probably give it an eight i'll be like yeah that's that's awesome but sometimes it's a seven so we'll stick at 7.5 I think that's a fair assumption. And of course, if you've never watched this movie before, I've spoiled the whole thing. But um, if you if you have haven't watched it, go and see it. Do yourself a favor because it is a really fun, really really fun watch and well worth well worth taking the time out of your day to see. I mean, I have it on DVD here at the house, but I think it's on Netflix, it's on Prime, it's on all of the streaming sites. It's always up there. So I would thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly recommend. You go and check it out. All right then. So as we have been doing uh, you know, every single week now since we started the podcast, we are going to be we're going to go through a bit of trivia to end the podcast all on the film Cabin in the Woods. So without any further ado, let's get into it. So immediately after an early preview screening with with a fan Q and A, the first question director Drew Goddard was asked was. Will there be a sequel? To which he responded, Have you seen the ending to my movie? Well, that's true. And that's why I said there won't be a sequel. But the possibilities are literally endless of prequels to this. And I hope to God that they one day do a prequel. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Um, Let's see. In the shots showing all the creatures in their elevator cells, you can briefly see a tank, a witch, a boomer, and a hunter. Four of the special infected from the Left 4 Dead game series. Their cameo was included to coincide with a planned tie-in expansion pack for the games, where players would have to fight their way through the woods, cabin, and facility from the movie. Unfortunately, the tie-in was cancelled when MGM's financial problems hit now they could totally bring out a game uh, for this series in my opinion whether it's an expansion of of a game that's already out there or its own separate little game i think you know a teletale game would be teletale is not a thing anymore but something along those lines would really be really be fantastic uh let's see uh, on the whiteboard in the control room when the staff are taking bets on the victims, potential killers, both deadites as well as angry molesting tree are listed. These are obvious references to the evil dead and its sequels, most of which all took place at Cabin in the Woods. So, whether that's a thing, whether we'll see. Also, another thing, as I said earlier on, during the elevator ride, when Dana realises they have chosen their own creatures to hunt them, she is looking at what appears to be a Cenobite, a creature known from the library works and films by Clive Barker. The Cenobite wears a black latex-like outfit and has multiple saw blades inserted into its skull. It also holds what is known as a Lamarchan's box in the form of a spherical puzzle similar to the one Kurt was trying to solve in the basement. The most famous box is the Lament the, the Lament Configuration, which appears in the Hellraiser film and its sequels. Um, so, again, that that is an Easter egg to that film, 100%. Um, during the rampage, one of the monsters that is briefly visible 
is Arriva, a member of the Fearsome Tribe from uh, Whedon's cult TV show Firefly, although they were not clearly seen on screen until Serenity. Uh, body count in this movie is 69. So that will be all the people who die in the office. Loads of people get killed. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, da, 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 da. <laughs> uh, among the various possible monsters on the control room whiteboard uh, one of them is just listed as Kevin although Kevin is never seen in the tie uh, although Kevin is never seen in the tie-in book The Cabin in the Woods the official visual companion co-writer Drew Goddard said that Kevin was meant to be a sweet looking guy who seemed like he might work at Best Buy until he dismembers people. Um, which we obviously know so many horror movies that have that exact thing. Um, right. If you look very closely, when they first release all the monsters, there is a flying purple people eater, as per the classic novelty song, in the upper left hand corner of the screen near the ceiling. Uh, when Hadley releases the blood on the fool monolith uh, the office suffers a light tremor indicating that the gods are aware that he and citizen were wrong in assuming the book and zombies killed marty uh, let's get a few more in here just as the gods the pro approach surface stadium dana and martin are sitting between the monoliths of the virgin and the fool which represent the characters that they played uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was also considered for the role of the director, but it ultimately went to Sigourney Weaver. Uh, da, 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 da. A full 45 minutes elapses before the movie's first kill. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. The big hand which you see coming out and destroying the cabin in the final shot is the Greek titan god Cronus. Well, there you go. Uh, and let's see, we'll just have one or two more. Um, the body count... Oh, my. <laughs> the official body count of the movie is 6,873,741,054, which is the world's population in 2009 when the film was made since the world ends at its conclusion, which, yeah, although we only see 69 people die... Every single person in the world dies. So that is probably the biggest body count in the history of horror. Every single person on the planet dies. Excellent. Uh, da, 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 da. The security guard is named Truman. Perhaps a reference to the Truman Show, another film with a control room, an observed life, and a singular trapped character. And finally, after MGM saw the... Uh, the dallies of the instruction sequence of Kurt to the others following Jules' demise. They signed Chris Hemsworth to their Red Dawn remake. And then two days after that, the actor landed the role of Thor. So he had an absolutely awesome year, Chris Hemsworth, um, when, he was, um, when he was going for that. So I say, I hope you've all uh, enjoyed this week's trivia and I hope you've all enjoyed this week's podcast uh, as much as I have enjoyed making this week's podcast. I mean, Cabin in the Woods is a film that I've wanted to probably cover since day one. It's a film that I would have covered in the next few weeks anyway. So whilst we had a little bit of 
a little bit of leeway this week. I thought, let's just, just get it in there and let's talk Cabin in the Woods. So next week on the podcast, everyone, we are going to be ranking the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. Whatever happens, that is the episode that is coming next week. So apologies that wasn't this week, but I hope you've enjoyed this episode uh, on Cabin in the Woods and the Texas Chainsaw ranking is 100% coming next week week once i've rewatched uh one or two of the ones that i don't really watch that often which is obviously part three and uh leatherface the most recent one so gonna rewatch those ones this week make sure i made time for it uh, and then we're gonna do the full ranking next week um in the meantime everyone Make sure to give us a like on Facebook. Just search Slasher Street Podcast. If you're listening to us on iTunes, make sure to hit that five-star rating button. Please do. It really helps uh, get more eyes on the podcast, gets us up there in the old horror charts. So if you're enjoying this, uh, give us a good rating on there. I'm not too sure what the rating is for Google Podcasts. I'm on, I've got an Apple iPhone, so I don't know what it's like on Android, but if that option is there as well on there give us a rating on there it's really thoroughly appreciated so uh, thank you again everyone i hope you all enjoyed this week's episode we will see you all next week for the texas chainsaw ranking that is 100 happening whatever happens and in the meantime everyone remember stay scared <laughs> Yeah.